Hello, welcome again to Conversations at uh, Whole Note. I'm David Perlman, and uh, my guest coming in today is pianist Stuart Goodyear, who we've talked with a few times over the years. But uh, great to be doing it again, uh, partly partly because uh, you've got a little flurry of activity in and around the region between now and the end of February. Yes. And hopefully just to spin on top, we'll get in all the, the uh, specific concert stuff as we go. Of course. But just to spin on some other topics and other stuff as well. And uh, I wanted to start out of left field with a tantalizing comment I saw in an interview that you did with James Strecker. Um, James Strecker Reviews the Arts is a, is a blog. And uh, he'd asked you the question, what are your biggest challenges as a creative person? And you replied, or the reply as written was, exercising delay biggest challenge ever and I thought okay what does that mean exercising delay oh uh, daily <laughs> that's what that, that's what it was supposed to be I don't is know that why I don't know I don't know why it was written um, delay I did definitely write daily so uh, I thought we were going to get into some yeah. profound well that is something to think about exercising delay I have delayed in exercising so I guess that is quite accurate but um, <laughs> no just um, keeping up the stamina and yeah. always be disciplined with that so I always try to be visible active either by walking a lot yeah. but um, I really do need to start running again yeah oh I thought it was going to be a profound insight <laughs> into into the silences oh, my apologies silence, <laughs> silences between the notes and things like that well no no uh, this is we, we could we could um, cre uh, create a, a, an interview that is along those lines that is something to ponder uh -huh. definitely yeah um, another interesting uh, quote that I that I read was uh, you were talking about LPs. Yes. And um, you talked about how from a very very young age you you would tend to think of an LP as a complete opus. Yeah. Not as different little pieces, but that the whole thing was an opus. Uh, I remember you said, uh, you know, the White Album, it's two LPs, but it's a single opus. Yeah, it feels like a body of work. Uh -huh. So do you apply the same thinking to concert programs? I do. I feel like um, I'm more successful as a programmer when there is a story behind it. For example, with my Kerner Hall recital coming up in mm -hmm. um, December, to the me... fourth. Yes, December 4th. Yeah. And to me... What this concert represents to me is Toronto oh, and yeah. some of the pieces that I learned as a student at the conservatory, like the Bach and the Beethoven. And also, Kerner Hall is such a special hall to me. My first sonata-thon was, of course, at Kerner. Yeah. And the premiere of my new Canadian work will uh -huh. be at Kerner Hall as well. Mm -hmm. Plus, um, the first time I did my transcription of the Nutcracker, was at Kerner. It was at Kerner. So oh, yeah. um, this, it feels um, already uh, like a second home to me. Uh -huh. 
so that Kerner program, I, I, I noticed that uh, the, the Bach partita number five, it, that opens the program? That opens the program. And that was, uh, what jumped out at me on that one was that, uh, what, nine years ago that you did the Glenn Gould concert recreation at the Phillips Gallery in well, that Washington? Was last, that was last year. That was that the first time last year, or had you done it? Prior no, to no, that? That, that was that was the first time last year at, at uh-huh. the Phillips Collection. Um, and and that was that work to me signifies that concert in a way. Yes. Do, do you construct? I mean, so is that a, a kind of intentional? Or we? Or we? Yeah, you not thinking it's, about it's, that? it's a Toronto connection. I always feel. Uh, I always think about Glenn Gould every time I do that partita and. Uh-huh. I just, um, not like I didn't have respect for Glenn Gould before, but I had a profound respect for him just doing that program and seeing how masterful a programmer Glenn Gould was. Uh From the pavan of Orlando Gibbons at the very beginning Mm -hmm. to that orgy of counterpoint that was Sui Link and his Fantasia Mm -hmm. to a kind of a romantic, emotional um, way of doing counterpoint with the Bach Five Symphonias to this very dense-like, uh, almost rhapsodic, mm-hmm. uh, even though it, uh, it is Baroque, it somehow takes it to a contemporary level with all of these dances, mm-hmm. to another form of dance with the Weber and et cetera, et cetera, to Wagner's Liebestolt uh-huh. finale with the Berg piano sonata. I just thought, wow, this so that- guy really um, had a lot of thought behind it, and it just gels so well. So I was thinking... With this Kerner Hall recital, to get the dance-like element to to another um, variation with the um, Opus One Eleven, which is of course ends the Sonata Thon. That's that's third. That's, that's Opus that, Thirty Two. That's uh, that's so, number thirty two, and so it I ends looked at the that um, first half. Yeah. I, I I looked at that one and I thought, uh, oh, well, you can't do all thirty two, so you'll do number thirty two. Uh, in the one concert so that that opus 32 was was one of the first ones that you as a performer uh, internalized after you got to Curtis wasn't it it was and um, 32 and 30 Uh were um, the first two sonatas that I learned before um, taking on the project of learning all 32 of them so thirty-two was right at the very right at the very Almost beginning. Right, yeah, right at the very beginning. And that was working with Leon Fleischer exactly. at, at Curtis. Yes. Fifteen at 15, the time. Yeah. I just read, started reading. Actually, finished reading. Uh, uh, Patricia Parr has put out a memoir um, that's being released next month. I don't know if you've heard or or, or seen of it. Not but yet. Tell me more. Well, um, it. I was really struck by the fact that she also she went to Curtis. I think at a, also at fifteen or fifteen years old, and uh, it was an interesting interesting parallel. I mean, she struck me. I, I mean, her. Uh, she was working with Irina Vengorova yeah. and then with Serkin, uh, both of whom were gone by the time you were there, right? Yeah. But um, 
it's it's a very interesting it's an interesting memoir dealing quite a lot with with dealing with how to deal with the being saddled with the child prodigy label mm. and how even when you've shook it off it lingers in in various ways and, huh. and how to break through and for her chamber music was was the what, what? significantly what uh, what broke that? I see. Um, so uh, th- that that struck me because uh, of another comment that that you had made, which uh, one of Vengerova's famous phrases with her students was, "You have to be two hundred percent ready when you go on stage, because you will forget one hundred percent of what you know." Once you hit the stage, and I've heard you say a similar thing about uh, Beethoven in performance, but particularly in terms of emotional investment. Yeah, I know. For me, I try to prepare three hundred percent, so that I'm not reciting notes. It mm-hmm. just comes out from my pores, and I make myself forget what I'm going to progr- uh, what I'm going to perform one day before. So it's not on my mind the whole time, and it just becomes almost like an improvisation. Plus, I get a good night's sleep before. You get a good night's sleep before, but you must take a, a dose of terror-fueled adrenaline onto the stage that way. Well, <laughs> depends on the piece. Yeah. If it's terrifying, I bring terror. Uh-huh. So are you able to actually make your mind blank when you start a piece like Oh, yeah, that. All, um, all the preparation, emotional, physical, that's all done way beforehand. Mm-hmm. So um, even feelings, if it's, um, if it's a passionate piece, if it's sorrowful, if it's angry, if it's vulnerable, if it's tender, it's feelings that I feel sincerely mm-hmm. because I'm not thinking about the piece before and all of the work has been done beforehand, so I'm focusing on who's listening. You stay busy. You still do. How often are you doing the Sonatathon? Well, I do the Sonatathon again in Savannah, Georgia. Yeah. Uh, part of the Savannah That's Music Festival. March. That's in March. Mm-hmm. Coming up. Are you trying to? Are you trying to, to keep it in, in the exercise routine, the emotional exercise routine, regularly at this point? Um, trying. <laughs> yeah. But delaying. Have to make it a daily thing. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm so disappointed. About <laughs> I'm really that sorry. Word. Really, I, I thought, wow, this is profound. Then what I a could, difference! I couldn't figure out why word. he just <laughs> blown it off and not said, "Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about yeah. that." Oh, uh, <laughs> tell me more about your piece. The the piece. So the it's a piano program. poem. Yeah, and it's based on. Um, uh, a myth from Quebec mm-hmm. about eight, eight lumberjacks who are stranded in the snow and they want to get to their loved ones on New Year's. Mm-hmm. So the devil comes to Jean-Baptiste, the head lumberjack, and tells him, well, look, if you sign a deal with me, I could get you to your loved ones. All you have to do is just say, Akabri, Akabra, Akabram, and I'll take you up into the air with your boat and you will be right on time to see your loved ones, mm-hmm. and you will celebrate Happy New Year. 
the catch is you cannot pass by any steeples and you cannot say God's name uh. and any, uh, and for any reason. Jean-Baptiste says, oh, that's fine. And it took some convincing to the Umber Lambajacks, but, uh, but they agreed. So they're up in the air. They fly. They go to their loved ones. It's New Year's. There's a lot of merriment and celebration and booze. Mm. And Jean-Baptiste um, drank a little bit too many, so he's absolutely out. And the other lab of Jack said, oh, my goodness, we have to get this boat back by dawn. Right. So, and what happens in Jean-Baptiste's inebriated state if he says God's name? Yeah. Um, so let's gag him, let's tie him up, and then oh. we'll go up in the air and we'll, and we'll return the boat by dawn. So... They're up in the air, Jean-Baptiste, um, very strong, loosens the rope, ungags himself, and asks, where in God's name are we going? Uh, the boat uh, is nowhere to be seen, Yeah. and they're lost forever. So is there musical, are there musical versions of, of that? As that far as source, I know, well, if, if there are, I have absolutely no idea. To me, mm. I, I, I was just... To, to me, the musical source just came from that story. Right. And it, was, it is probably one of the most important um, composition projects I ever had because mm -hmm. wrestling with what Canada sounds like yeah. to me was something um, I was wrestling with from, with from the very, very beginning. So only just recently, only just um, eight months ago, the sound of Canada came, you know, you know, my sound of Canada came to me and huh. it has, um, it, it, it has changed, um, the way I compose. Hmm. So, um, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this premiere. So, and it'd be fascinating. We will have to get you back in here. Yes. To, I, I look to forward to really, some, really demonstrating. Demonstrated samples maybe before the concert. Even. Absolutely. I look forward okay, to that. That would be great. I, I, I'm tempted to ask whether there, whether there are diminished sevenths all over the place in your Sound of Canada. No. Only because of uh, playing the game of the concert program being, uh, being an opus rather than uh, individual see. works. And, uh, and the Beethoven that precedes it yeah. is... Uh, I wouldn't say riddled with them, but full of them. Yeah, so, interesting. Uh, the 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 Tchaiko Speaking of Tchaikovsky and and moving a little bit ahead, you, you're you're going to be around the region quite a bit between now and the end of and the beginning of February. Yeah. You're doing the tour with the, with the TSO Symphony. of Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, and we're back to Tchaikovsky with first concerto with that one. When did you get that one into your repertoire? That was also from a long time ago. Um, yeah. I um, heard um, the first concerto when I was a kid. Do you remember who? Oh, gosh. Leonard Panario, out of all pianists, oh. um, I heard on a capital LP. Oh, yeah. And um, I was listening to a lot of Columbia LPs and Capitol LPs. So mm -hmm. um, the first time I heard Borodin was on Capitol, and the first time I heard Tchaikovsky's first was on Capitol. So that was the first recording I ever heard. Uh -huh. Then Van Cliburn, uh -huh. then Horowitz, uh -huh. then Gilles, and then uh -huh. I was just collecting as many recordings of that concerto um, as I could, as well as the um, violin concerto. Uh -huh. And how do you make a piece like that your own? Uh, by 
forgetting about all of those other interpretations. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, just really knowing a lot about um, Russian repertoire and um, what inspired Tchaikovsky, the folk songs that he used. Mm -hmm. And I think what changed um, my interpretation was really listening to um, Russian opera singers. Okay. And that, that really much influences the way I play this piece. When you do a concerto like that, in a way, you're you're the hostage of the conductor and the, and the symphony orchestra, though. You don't get to just come in with a, a, a solo interpretation of, of anything, right? Yes, I, 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 um, it's, I'm the backdrop to that, that first D-flat major theme with the strings. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. In a way, um, we, you know, with the help of the horns, we do establish the mood of that concerto from mm -hmm. that opening. But yeah, I really take the cue from what the strings do. Uh -huh. so, you, so in a way, th that's a situation that is almost like the blank slate that you were describing, because no matter what you think you're going to want to do with it, you're dancing with a partner. You're not. Well, I love dancing with partners. Even when I'm alone on stage, I feel like the audience is my partner. Okay. And with a, with the amount of preparation I do, what's most important is the here and the now. Mm -hmm. And and collaborating with Maestro Unjin with this piece, we're going to come up with a very fresh interpretation and one that is very much in the here and now. And of course, the mm -hmm. audience of Roy Thompson Hall will. Will uh, also be, play a part. That'll be day three. That'll by be day then. three after so. the Montreal and um, Ottawa audiences. Uh -huh. Every Should every every night will be um, a fresh discovery. And you're also coming to Burlington Performing Arts Center. Yes. In, have you played that hall? No, first time. Uh huh. Is that another? I'm not sure. Is that another uh, Diamond Schmidt Hall? I have to. I, I have to think find that out. Maybe like First Cana uh, First Ontario in St. Catharines, um, and obviously the Four Seasons here. But uh, I've I've never been to that hall, but I've heard I've heard good you heard, things. You heard some good it. things about it. I look forward to it. I really mm -hmm. I look forward to that recital. Mm -hmm. The marathons, the giant projects that you do. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, the Sonatathon is one. Uh, we were talking earlier uh, with uh, Karen Ages in our office here about uh, the five Beethoven concerti yes. with the Niagara Symphony Orchestra that you did in the... When was that? In the, the summer? That was... Early um, fall? Or? Early fall. It was the opening yeah. concert for the Niagara uh, Symphony. What's the, what's the appeal of... Again, story story hey? um to me this was beethoven as a uh, as as a young man mm -hmm. a performing artist mm -hmm. establishing himself um very much um well i guess like every performer um i i, um, I have to um parallel rock stars when it comes mm -hmm. to um composer pianists because they are writing um with um with the Beatles who wrote songs as vehicles for the way they presented themselves and their right. style of music, 
Beethoven came up with a style in which uh, his pianism was being showcased, mm -hmm. and his mind, his his aesthetic was mm -hmm. um, being showcased from uh, from the B flat major concerto on to um, the Emperor, which he uh, which he never performed. Oh. But um, getting into um, the style where um, you really hear the piano and orchestra as yeah. equal partners well, and a very symphonic protagonist and antagonist in, in yeah to a and, very who, and, and who's extent. who yeah mm -hmm, exactly and uh, a, a style that I suppose Brahms then Brahms really really put into, into the hilt yeah into a, a collaboration where you can't tell the dancer from the dance anymore yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, the, with the concerti, I, I know with the sonatas, when you do them, you do you start at the beginning and you do it as a sequential narrative. Well, that's how you did it at Kerner. That's a, yeah. And you still I still do it, still that, do way. it that way with the concerti. With the concerti, you do that it was differently. Also in, yeah? That was also in chronological order, but not a, uh, but not an opus order because of course the B flat oh, okay. major was um, started first. So the B flat oh, okay. major starts, then the C major, which. From a musical standpoint, it just makes a lot more sense to end the first half of it. Also, right. this was in three acts, yeah. similarly to the um, Sonata-thon. So number two and one, yeah. intermission, three and four, intermission, uh, and then and the then, Emperor after with that. the Emperor at the end. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, so there's an emotional through line that is coming to grips with the composer's story before your own. There's a big, big, big buildup, mm -hmm. and um, the emperor just has this incredible release. Yeah, yeah, I, I can remember as a child dancing around the room to that one. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, you know what? If you're going to come back, let's call this part one. Okay. And uh, <laughs> and uh, then hopefully when we come back, we'll have a keyboard, and once we're no longer on air, so to speak. Um, we'll figure out a time to do that. That'd be great. And look forward to carrying on this conversation. To be continued. I'm, I'm always excited coming, coming here, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Stuart. And thank you, listeners, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.